Welcome to the On Deck Circle, a weekly podcast setting the table with lively baseball banter from two guys who love America's pastime. Let's talk baseball. Welcome back into episode nine of the On Deck Circle podcast. We've got another exciting weekend of baseball to look over. We've got more baseball coming up. Lots of exciting topics to dive into in our agenda. Alex, how are we doing today? I'm looking forward to our robust lineup that we have to our week nine. There's a lot, of, lot going on in the world of baseball. We've got our good, bad, and ugly segment from the weekend. We've got undefeated team. Dramatic, thing, dramatic things to discuss. Dramatic things to discuss. Well, without further ado, let's dive into segment number one. Leading off. And this weekend leading off, we want to lead off by looking back at the weekend that was with our good, bad, and ugly. Alex, what was what was your good from the weekend of baseball that we witnessed? Well, again, there's a lot going on that's good in the world of baseball right now. There's a lot that you could zero in on if you're, you know, depending on what you wanted to talk about. But I want to talk about something that just happened just yesterday. We had Andrew Haney of the Texas Rangers. He was tying American League records. Andrew Haney's a 31-year-old pitcher who's with the Rangers now. He kind of came up as a Angels prospect early on in his career and hasn't really been anything notable. But yesterday he did something that's only been done two other times he was mentioned with nolan ryan he was mentioned with nolan ryan nolan ryan and i'll explain why in just a second but he he struck out nine consecutive batters which means nine guys came up and nine guys went down via the strikeout and that's only happened two other times in the american league history and it's actually two tigers who have own that record. Tyler Alexander struck out nine straight batters against the Cincinnati Reds. And then Doug Fister, when he was with the Tigers back in the day, he struck out nine in a row. And he set the Texas Rangers franchise record, which was held by Nolan Ryan, who pitched for a few different teams and obviously Hall of Famer, great pitcher, um, leads the leads the league in career strikeouts. He only struck out seven consecutive batters. So way to go, Andrew Haney. Uh, he was the good uh, from a lot of things you could pull from, but it's nice to see guys doing things that haven't been done before. It, it's exciting to see that. So, or at least done in a long time. Or at least done in a long time. And for a guy who, again, who I think there was a lot of, you know, a guy who hasn't performed the way maybe he was expected to coming up in, through the minors and, and, and early on in his career, it's cool to see him do it for a team that's there's a lot of exciting things going on with the Texas Rangers right now. So absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, my good is some really great baseball that was played this weekend in two series that we had previewed in our last episode, the Braves and Padres that lived up to its billing. I think that was some great baseball. Now Braves fans might not agree that it was some great baseball because no. the Braves dropped three out of four games to the Padres, but, and they got waxed in the final game <laughs> of that series. They got fleeced, but uh, overall, just really great quality baseball. You know, so many. I, I uh, was listening to another podcast where they were discussing the number of potential Hall of Famers present in that series, and it, it was just a great series. Well pitched, well played, lots of great hitting. Nelson Cruz, he was the real person hitting cruise missiles Sunday night. Great, great series. Another series that we had talked about was the Blue Jays and Angels, and that, again, lived up to its billing between Shohei Otani and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Mike Trout. Uh, 
just a really great series. Did you, did you see Mike Trout abusing that pickup truck that they have in left center in LA? Uh, there, there was a tweet, somebody tweeted out uh, that uh, follows and tracks the angels. It was like, what did that truck do to offend Mike Trout? So he kept bouncing home runs off of the truck that's out there in left center. And so that was quite entertaining. That's right. Be looking out for that white truck in a used car dealership near you, and you could get a truck that is worth more than what you'll pay. Exactly. All right. So that's our good. Alex, what about your bad? Yeah, the bad, um, one, it's a personal thing because uh, my fantasy team took a hit, uh, but also... um, I think baseball overall kind of took a hit just because O'Neill Cruz went down. He's going to be out pretty much for the rest of the season. He's going to miss four months. Uh, so he might come back uh, for the very tail end of the season. And if the Pirates, uh, who, who you know, O'Neill Cruz is the shortstop for the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Pirates will probably be eliminated uh, by that point in the season. We will see. But he fractured his ankle on a really awkward play going into home plate. Um, it was like, you know, in the old school, in the old school days, it may have been a, a situation where the runner blows up the catcher, uh, and, and plows into him. A normal person would have probably slid and tried to just, you know, go down and, and slide into home plate. And he did something that was kind of in between, got his leg caught up underneath him and fractured his ankle. And he's going to miss a lot of time. And that for me highlights, I think the real bad early on here in the season is just the lack of awareness or the lack of ability when it comes to the the run game right now in baseball. There's been some really uncomfortable slides into bases. There's been some blunders on the base paths, things that teams are supposed to work on in spring training. And we're two weeks in, not that far removed from spring training. And some guys look oblivious on what to do on the base paths. And not only do they not know what to do, they're risking great injury. And O'Neill Cruz is the latest one. And, you know, he's going to be on the shelf for a long time now. Yeah, he's definitely one of the notable injuries to look over for this week. To your point about awkward slides, I was watching part of a Mets game, and Brandon Nimmo, who is not known as a stolen base threat, uh, went to try and steal second, not once or twice, but three times, kept having to go back because of foul balls. He slid so awkwardly. He he, he was doing a headfirst slide, and his left arm like caved in underneath of him. Even, even the Mets announcers were cautioning, you know, should he really be trying to steal second base, sliding as awkwardly as he is? Derek Hall for the Phillies, the first baseman, he injured his thumb on a play, sliding into a base. Tim Anderson is going to be out for four to six weeks with a strained knee involving a play going into into third base. Starling Marte had a neck sprain as a result of sliding into somebody's knee as he was trying to steal third. So, so the, yeah, the, with the, with the it, influx in stolen base attempts, we're yes. seeing an influx in stolen base-related injuries. Yeah, I think it's a cautionary tale here. Like, everyone's excited that, you know, the new rules have opened up the run game and we've got people stealing bases more than they've ever been stolen before, at least in recent memory. But the reality is uh, with uh, great risk comes great reward, and uh, but there's also the risk. And so you have to kind of weigh the option of how valuable are these guys. It's interesting. There was uh, somebody, it wasn't related to stealing, but it was uh, related to John Carlos Stanton playing right field for the Yankees. And uh, he made, he tried to make a crazy diving catch that he came up short on in foul territory. And uh, one of the Yankee fans tweeted out, he's like, I appreciate the, appreciate the effort, Giancarlo, but I'd prefer you not give that kind of effort in April <laughs> because we'd like you to stick around a little 
little while longer before ending up on the IL. And so we're starting to see that with some other things. But it just begs the question, like, this is a fundamental part of the game. They spend a lot of time teaching this stuff in Little League and uh, sliding apparently is uh, there's more risk involved with that than you normally would think. Yeah, yeah. So my bad is similar to yours, only rather than focusing on the sliding aspect of the game, I want to highlight the starting pitching aspect of the game. Yes. Starting pitching has been abysmal at the beginning of the year. Not great. We've got lots of teams using record numbers of bullpen innings because starters aren't going deep into games they're going maybe five innings and they're then being removed for bullpen arms my favorite is the pitcher that goes four and a third or four and two thirds we'll talk more about more about why that's significant in a second but keep going yeah so i just you know i I, it seemed like a lot of the games that i was watching this weekend fourth fifth inning Starting pitcher starts laboring, gets up around 80 pitches. Oh, nope, they got someone up in the bullpen warming up. Guess they're going to be bringing him in. And I think that signals a fundamental shift in how baseball is being played. Baseball used to be a mental battle between the pitcher and the batter. The pitcher thinking to himself, how can I get this batter out? And the batter thinking, how can I get a hit off of this pitcher? Now it's shifted to the manager managing which pitcher can get the batter out. Not not with tricking the batter, but with overpowering the batter. So it's common knowledge now that third time through a lineup, the stats say a starting pitcher is going to get hit harder because each one of the batters, one through nine, will have seen this pitcher twice before and will be facing him for a third time. What my beef is, though, is that's what makes baseball great. That's where these pitchers that are such amazing pitchers should be able to reach back and pull a little something extra, put a little bit more oomph or a little bit more cut or a little bit more spin on these pitches and be able to work deeper into games. And I don't know if this is good for baseball to have so much abysmal starting pitching going on. Yeah, I, I agree with you almost uh, almost completely. I think if, whether it's good for baseball or not is a separate conversation because, you know, we're, we want excitement, we want runs, we want all this nonsense, which, you know, the league seems to be promoting. However, I do believe it's or 100% it's bad for pitchers. In what way? It's bad for pitchers because it's harder for pitchers to establish themselves. Like We don't know who the elite, elite pitchers are. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you knew who the elite pitchers were yeah. because they were logging complete games. They were the ones, you know, there were the, the few exceptions to the rule. I think Clayton Kershaw was one of them in his prime. Verlander was in his prime. The third time through the order, their numbers actually went up and the batters went down because they held something back. They yeah. were, you know, they they eased themselves into the game and as the game progressed they allowed themselves to take it to the next gear take it to the next level whether it's velocity or with the curveball or some other you know aspect of their arsenal and that being said i just think it's really interesting because there's a especially in the world of baseball card collecting and memorabilia stuff pitchers have no value in that world because more or less in the modern game pitchers aren't allowed to establish themselves as elite and it's not you know I, i'm all about you know man Managers, hey, when your guy's getting rocked that first time through the order, you got to get, you know, I'm all about getting the bullpen up and getting somebody else in there if they don't have it. But when a guy pitches four shutout innings and, you know, he seems to be in control of the game, well, you know, 
his pitch count might be a touch high right now, or you know maybe we're going to go with the we're going to go with the better matchup with the bullpen arm. We're going to pull this guy who's in the heat, and and we know he's got the arm to do it, but we're going to pull him anyway because the analytics tell us to do so. I know it's not good for the pitchers. I don't think it's very good for the game either. But I know the graphic you're talking about. The the relief pitchers are being used to a degree that you know are at a rate that's far exceeding recent use. Uh, in these most recent seasons, anyway. Yeah, so I, I that, that's my bad. I, I would really love to see as the season goes on better starting pitching. Exactly, pitchers going six, seven innings on a regular basis, and then save your save your arms in the bullpen and be able to deploy them in the eighth, ninth inning and make a difference, as opposed to getting your starting pitcher out of the game and then working through a slew of relief pitchers until you get to the end of the game. It's just worthy of note that if you're a starting pitcher, you have to pitch five innings in order to earn a win in order to qualify for a win yeah yeah. you will not uh, if your team win if you're you know you have the lead and your team wins the game you do not get the win as a starting pitcher unless you pitch five innings and so it's it the the rule there seems motivated by pitchers particularly starting pitchers pitching deep into games and in the modern analytics driven game that has gone by the wayside which begs the question maybe we'll talk about it on a future podcast you know should the win qualification rules be amended uh, given what you see that might be an interesting discussion for a future podcast all right so let's get to the ugly the ugly for me this past week up until recent was the phillies what is going on? These guys that got off to the worst start in 30 years, horrible pitching, starting pitching Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler. They got combined ERA somewhere in the ballpark of six plus. They haven't gone deep into games. The bullpen has been atrocious. That was that was my ugly until they laid 15 runs on Sandy Alcantara. They, and they made Matt, you forget a lot. About, they made you forget a lot about the bad really fast. And Matt Strom did his best Sandy Alcantara impression, throwing some shutout baseball, just crushing the Marlins fifteen to three. That that assuaged me from talking about the Phillies as an ugly. To instead, what is going on with the Athletics and the Tigers? Two of the worst franchises in Major League Baseball, maybe in all two of professional organizations sports. with only two wins to this point in the season. The Phillies have four. Okay, that's not great, but there's only two teams with two wins. Well, and in, it's the in, Athletics and it's the Tigers. Yeah, no, it's it, they're, they're not. They don't look good, and it's not probably going to get better. Uh, I'll talk more about those two franchises as we head towards the end of our lineup today. But it's interesting in a world where parity, especially you know where there, where there's more and more teams than ever before that are competitive with each other, and uh, there's more teams that are you know in the hunt for playoff spots, and this seems to be true in most of the major sports. Uh, the athletics and the Tigers are lagging scarily far behind. I mean, it's just it's it's yeah. it's, it's awful the how the how bad they actually are. Anyway, let's move on to segment number two. Now on deck. Segment number two. It's interesting. We want to we want to look at uh, just a topic that comes up periodically throughout the course of a regular season. It's the relationship that exists between managers and players. And we had a pretty interesting situation uh, very early in this season uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals this managed by Oliver Marmol, who, when he was hired last year, was hired as the youngest manager in the major leagues, he was hired at the age of 35. He's just now, a young pup. He's 36 now, um, which begs the question. That's 35 plus one. What have I been doing with my life? Because I could be managing a major league baseball team right now. Wait, 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 wait. 
Shouldn't he still be playing baseball at this point? In you his would life? think because there are plenty of examples of players who are still playing into their late thirties and their forties, and so he's of playing age, managing the St. Louis Cardinals. Did One Nelson the, Cruz get the memo that he could be managing instead of playing yeah, baseball? I, I think there's all. The, I think there's some of these teams they missed the memo that they could be saving money, paying these players to be player managers. All of a sudden, Miguel Cabrera doesn't look like a dumpster fire if he's also managing the team that he's like stinking up by batting a poultry 120 on and so who needs progressive when you could just hire a 40 year old man to come manage your team exactly so there was a situation with the st louis cardinals where it was late in the game and tyler o'neill they're one of their outfielders was on second second base. base exactly and there was a base hit and the base hit was to right field, and it was Ronald Acuna Jr. for the Atlanta Braves. And he scored easily from second base, right? Well, that's the debate. Uh, he he took off on the crack of the bat, rounded third base, was going home. Ronald Acuna gunned him down from the outfield, and he was out at home plate. Not all that memorable of a play. Ronald Acuna, you know, has a great arm. Uh, O'Neal does have good speed. However, it was after the game, and Marmol, the manager, kind of threw him under the bus and said it was a matter of effort and said that he was loafing it around second base and said that wasn't going to be tolerated and immediately benched him out of the next day's lineup. Obviously, that created a conflict, but it begs the question, was Oliver Marmol overstepping by going after one of his players in front of the press? How should situations like that be handled, Aaron? Are you on Team Marmol or Team O'Neill? That's a great question. I see both sides. Oh, wow. I <laughs> Way to be controversial. We're trying to get listeners here, I, Aaron. I am, I am a fence rider in this one because on the one hand... The manager should be able to rev- should be able to call out his players when he sees them not giving their best. However, field's wet. Yep. Tyler O'Neill missed a lot of time last year due to an injury. Yep. Doesn't want to slip, hurt his hamstring. We've already talked about we've leg. already we've already talked about sliding. And so he took off and he didn't look like he was loafing it. You even said that. But no, I did Tyler not. O'Neal is is a player who is considered to have elite speed. I did not know that. I did not know that. Like I knew he was quick, but I, you know, he his. Uh, I think he's what the seventh fastest player in Major League Baseball. I did not know he was that fast. And yep. so you'd think a single under normal circumstances for a guy of that speed scoring from second base shouldn't be a problem. Now, again, we're not talking about just some no name outfielder. It's Ronald Acuna. Who's the one fielding the ball and making the throw who had, who, who ranks in the top percentile in outfield arm. Exactly. So we give him some credit there. However, I, I think this speaks to a greater growing trend or problem. That's probably, you know, it, it doesn't rear its head probably as often as it could, the, th- the trend now in Major League Baseball is to hire managers that are younger and younger. What, what the Texas Rangers did, the Texas Rangers went and dusted off Bruce Bochy, you know, the, you know, the aged manager that won a, several World Series with the you know, San Francisco Giants. You don't see that a lot anymore. What you do see are teams trying to get the, the player-friendly manager, and, and what's more player-friendly than going and hiring the guy who was just a player himself maybe a year or two previous to that. And what you have is a situation where 
I think it's hard for managers who are 35 and 36 years old to establish a voice in the locker room with veteran players who they would view each other as peers, not so much as a manager and a player. And you, yeah. you, you think of old school managers, uh, Lou Pinella. Bobby Cox, Earl Weaver, Earl Weaver, Jim Leland. It, Joe, I remember as a Tigers fan, Joe Torrey, the Tigers got waxed in the first week of the season and he went and lit up everybody to the press. But it was like, hey, this is the 80 year old manager who smokes two packs of cigarettes in nine innings and no one's going to take an issue with that. And so I think Oliver Marmol's in a very difficult spot here. Like, how do I establish myself as the authority on this team and mm -hmm. at the same time you know was it handled the best i think tyler o'neill made the comment you know i wish this could have been handled internally and not in front of the not in front of the media i think tyler o'neill has a point i think he has a good point and for someone who runs that fast but who's trying to make a deliberate effort to stay on the field this year i agree i think it should have been something that was handled internally i don't think it was appropriate for the manager to come out and call o'neill out well, especially when you're in like this is the first week of the season and we're already we're, we're already it's one thing if it's like, OK, we've seen we've seen a few different things now and Tyler O'Neill's not not cutting it. However, it was the first instance. It was a dramatic game. It was a big point in that game. And to just throw him under the bus and say, hey, you were loafing it. I do think it's interesting. Uh, Tyler O'Neill, it's been really hit or miss uh, him being in the lineup. He wasn't in the lineup yesterday. We'll see if he's in the lineup again today. I would imagine I would be, well, I would just be surprised if Tyler O'Neill is not traded. You know where one of his top trade destinations is right now? Where? Detroit. Oh, <laughs> well, we we uh, we don't have good team speed, nor good power, nor good outfielders. So I don't know who they would get in return. But this could I would, be uh, a win win for you, Alex. I would ex I would gladly take in a loafing Tyler O'Neill into the outfield for Detroit. So before we move away from this, I just want to highlight a manager who does a really great job with his players. And that's Dave Roberts, Dodgers manager. Oh, uh, stop it with the Dodgers, I, please. So I've been watching a lot of Dodgers baseball and I've heard player after player, pretty much everybody attest to how much Dave Roberts has a good rapport with his players, that he cares about them. He listens to them. He takes their concerns into consideration. Now, I'm not saying that like he is my BFF because I did not agree with his decision to pull Kershaw last year after seven innings of perfect baseball, but he did it and Kershaw did not come out and call him out. He respected what Roberts laid down and I think that's, you know, Roberts, former player, I believe he's in his 50s, maybe 60s at this point. That's a manager who goes out of his way to not just manage his players, but relate to his players. And that's something I think that you've seen a big shift in in baseball over the last couple of years is a shift in managing styles from a manager who merely manages his team to a manager who relates to his team. And I think maybe that's some somewhere that we can uh, look to see if the St. Louis Cardinals will move in the future with Oliver Marmol. Dave Roberts is 50, by the way. 50. 50. Which is funny to think about that. And just a side note, 50, he's one of the elder statesmen in the league. He's been managing for a while now, but he's still only 50. Which is absolutely nuts. But it anyway. is indeed. All right. Well, let's move on to our third segment. In the hole. And in this segment, we want to highlight the only undefeated team remaining in all of Major League Baseball. They have 
They have stayed undefeated in dominant fashion. The We're New talking York about Yankees. No, oh, the, no, no. The Tampa oh, Bay Rays. The Tampa Bay Rays. No, they started. They're, they're now ten and zero. They won one to nothing last night. Uh, it, was, it was their first. It was their closest game of the season up until the lowest scoring game uh, just over the weekend. They played the Oakland Athletics, uh, who, are, as we've talked about, aren't great. And the Tampa Bay Rays showed it. Uh, they beat them twice, like eleven to zero. They've 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 got three straight shutouts now, as far as their pitching staff is concerned. Uh, they're now ten and zero. Uh, they're going for eleven and zero tonight. They play the Boston Red Sox. They're favored heavily in the game. Uh, Shane McClanahan's on the mound. You know, the, all all of the metrics would say that they're probably going to be eleven and zero. But we haven't seen a start like this in a very very long time. Uh, the team has been hot. They're obviously first place in the American League East. And they're hitting well. They're pitching well. They've got a good manager. They don't have great fans, but they've got everything else going for them right now. What has been most impressive to you, Aaron, about the Tampa Bay Rays? How they're doing it. They, outside of Wander Franco, don't have anyone on their team making over $50 million in the duration of their contract. So Wander Franco's got an 11-year, $182 million contract. The next closest person is Zach Eflin. He's got three years, $40 million that he just signed. Everybody else is making change. Nobody else has significant salaries. So how they're doing it has jumped out at me. You've got teams like the Yankees and Mets and Padres that have gone out in the offseason and loaded up, and they've kind of stumbled out of the gate. And here you have the Rays who have kind of done all of this from internally. You know, they, they have a great farm system, great young arms that they've drafted and developed and brought up through. I mean, they're off to the best start in Major League Baseball since 1987. I mean, yeah. I think how they've done it is great. And they, they've done it in a rather unconventional way. We don't necessarily think of the Tampa Bay Rays as a slugging ball club. No. They've hit 25 home runs so far this year. They're, they're, they're murdering teams. Uh, they're scoring 10 plus runs a game. They're score, they've scored, they had a game where they dropped 14 in a game. Um, they have a 58 run differential. Franco, who people were on, you know, he missed a lot of time last year with an injury. People were unsure. He looks like an MVP so far. Randy, Ar- Randy Arozarena, he has carried all of his momentum from the World Baseball Classic. Isak Paredes, he's been a power bat in that lineup. Yep. Brandon Lau. Brandon Lau. He's hit three days in a row. He's got home runs now, and he hit the he hit the uh, the game winning solo shot yesterday. I mean, they're getting production from over half of their lineup, and they're a true team. Everybody's yeah, exactly. contributing, and you've got great starting pitching. Um, you've got uh, Pete Fairbanks, the closer, who's just electric. I, I mean, you don't you want to look at the schedule, and it's like yeah, eventually they will lose. They might lose tonight. But on paper, when you look at the matchups, it's hard to pick the date where they're going to lose because their pitching is so good. Their lineup is just they're not going to blow you away with like, yeah, the guys making, you know, trunk dump trucks worth of money. But they are, you know, they're just good, solid players. And so I think we're going to see this hot start continue. Uh, and, you know, we'll see for how long. I mean, are they going to go undefeated? No. But are they could they could they realistically be 25 and five? Maybe. Well, let's consider who the Rays played. Well, okay. So, so yes. far, they swept the Tigers, yep. which horrible. <laughs> they swept the Nationals, uh, horrible. And they swept the Athletics, 
horrible. And they've won one game against the and Red Sox. they've won Sox. one Not game great. against the Red Sox in a four-game series. They play three more games. And then over the weekend, spoiler alert, they play the Toronto Blue Jays. And we'll be looking forward to that series. That's and so people one. have been critical of them because, you know, hey, let's take this series. Let's take this win streak with a grain of salt. They're 10 and 0 like, but they've played basically the who's who of the the bottom of the barrel. The that Major losers. League Baseball has to offer. Well, let's just point this out. The Tampa Bay Rays did not make their own schedule. The league made it for them. So you can only play the games on your schedule. But that also being said, my lowly Tigers went into Houston and they won two out of three against Houston. I feel like you're trying to vindicate the Detroit Tigers right now. No, I'm just trying to validate what the Tampa Bay Rays have done. Hey, you know what baseball is? Baseball is about beating the teams you should beat and about splitting with the teams that you know, you're know you competitive with. And to me, that's some of the beauty of Major League Baseball is right. you never know night in and night out if the good teams are actually going to win and the bad teams are actually going to lose. I mean, you look at a club like the Pirates or, the, or a club like the Rays or a club like the Diamondbacks or a club like the Rockies, they're not necessarily top-shelf teams. No. But they've taken it to what some people would consider top shelf teams over the weekend. Exactly. No, those, all those teams have, uh, have, have at least a number of wins to start the season. And so at the end of the year, the really elite teams, the teams that are going to go for a hundred wins in a season and you know, they're going to go to the, you know, the championship series or possibly the world series are going to be those teams that handled their business against the teams they were supposed to, and they played relatively good against the really good teams in baseball, and then they'll shake it out you know, in the playoffs at the end. And so I would say the Tampa Bay Rays are doing exactly what they need to do if they want to be in the playoff mix at the, end of the, at the end of the season. And right now they're doing exactly that. So I'm excited. I tune in every night to watch the Tampa Bay Rays, one, because my Tigers are unwatchable, and you just want to see how long this winning streak is going to go. And so I'm all on the bandwagon. Go watch. DeFranco, go Shane McClanahan, go Randy Rosarena. Let's go, baby. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Alex now has the Tampa Bay Rays winning the World Series. I said I'm on the bandwagon. How, how much longer do you think the bandwagon is going to stay together? At least through the weekend, which leads <laughs> us to our next segment and final segment. Batting cleanup. And we want to look ahead to the upcoming weekend matchups. We are going to look at an AL matchup, an NL matchup, and an interleague matchup. The interleague matchup that I'm most interested in this weekend, Alex, is the battle for Texas. There's a battle for Texas taking place this weekend between two top shelf teams, Texas Rangers Houston Astros. We got the Jacob deGroms and the Framber Valdezes of the world clashing, as it were. The Andrew Heaney's, the Nathan Avaldi's, and the Chris, and the Christian Javier, Luis Garcia's. Yeah, that's a good matchup to watch out watch oh. out for. It's gonna be. It, it could go one of two ways. You're either gonna have uh, you, you'd expect a lot of offense in those in those in the in that series and it's interesting in the series where you expect a lot of offense usually the pitching shows up and it's a pitching duel so both teams depending on who's on the bump on any given matchup yeah you you could see some low scoring affairs or some high scoring affairs both teams can play both ways and in texas where the you know the air's warmer and the ball's jumping i mean who knows what what you might see yeah, yeah. What's a interleague matchup? Interleague matchup. I mean, other than that one, it's kind of slim pickings for the weekend. But I, I'm, I'm highlighting the Giants and the Tigers for this reason. Um, the Giants 
who have higher expectations as a franchise who, you know, they, they were in the playoffs two years ago. They want to bounce back this season. They've started out a little slow out of the gate. When the Tigers are on your schedule, it's a get right series. And so it'd be interesting to see if the Giants can handle their business against the Tigers and play themselves back into the, you know, back into the early race in that division, because you've got, you know, the Dodgers who are handling their business early on. The Padres look good. The Diamondbacks look solid. They're actually in first place in the West. The Diamondbacks right are in first place as we sit here right now and so you don't want to fall too far behind in that division so the giants have an opportunity to get it right and you know and and kind of maybe catapult into the following week to try to string some wins together we'll see if they're able to do that it's interesting in another get right series the New York Mets go to the West Coast. And so this weekend, they play Oakland. And again, they've started slow, but they can get right against Oakland because they're going to need to because starting the week, the New York Mets go to the Dodgers. Yep, that's that's a series I'm looking forward to. And so Mets you're either going to build a lot of confidence over the weekend or you're going to stumble into L.A. Stadium with the, or into Dodger Stadium with the L.A. and we'll see what happens. You may be laid low. Exactly. And so it's interesting to see like these, these, these bottom feeder teams are providing some opportunities for some other teams to maybe, you know, build some momentum or they can play spoiler. And a week from now, we might be talking about a different, a different storyline. Yeah. So in the American league, I'm looking forward to the Rays and blue Jays matchup that we referenced. Yes. I think that's just going to be a great series as we seek to, to discern, okay, who's going to be coming out of the American League East? It's in Toronto. It is in the Tor- Toronto at the Rogers Center. I Tampa think. Bay is not known for uh, is not known for wildly you know supportive fan bases, but Toronto is. And so you're going to have the hottest team in baseball going north of the border to Toronto, and you know when Toronto's on. The Rogers Center is electric. And so, again, you're talking about an early season test for the league's best team. That's a good one to circle. Yep. Yep. It's going to be a good one indeed. Any American League highlights that you're looking at? Looking ahead after the weekend, Shohei and Mike Trout are in Yankee Stadium. Ooh. L.A. and the New York Yankees, primetime and primetime. That's going to be showtime and showtime and primetime. We don't know the pitching matchups quite yet, but it's going to be interesting to see Shohei batting in Yankee Stadium. Mike Trout's obviously there. Aaron Judge is there. Possibly Garrett Cole and Shohei Otani on the mound. We'll see how it shakes out, but that'll be a fun three-game series next week. Yeah, that the, those are great, great games that we're looking forward to. And uh, we're looking forward to being with you again next week. Next week will be our 10th episode. Are we going to have a party? Uh, we might indeed. And uh, we, as always, thank you for listening to us. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to us, whatever you're doing, whether you're driving, hopefully not sleeping, but uh, driving, working, doing something else. We appreciate your time and hope that you'll go follow us on our social media pages on Twitter. It's Twitter slash on deck pod. And we're also on Facebook, Facebook slash the on deck circle podcast. Find us, like us, send us some feedback, share us with your friends and family, let them know what they're missing in terms of having a good conversation as we talk baseball. And until next time, we're out of here.